Hi, everyone. This is Talking Digital Industries, the podcast for technologies and trends that drive industrial enterprises. My name is Alex Chavez, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, we'll be looking at one of the most pressing topics of our times, and that is sustainability. Basically, it's about keeping the planet livable. I have two very knowledgeable guests with me who will be giving insights into this topic as it relates to industry. Let me introduce Paul Miller. He is an analyst at Forrester who focuses on digital manufacturing and the Internet of Things. And with me also is Erin Devola. She is the vice president in charge of sustainability at Siemens Digital Industries. I'd like to start our talk with a personal question. Was there a moment where you realized how absolutely important sustainability is for society and for our future? Paul, would you like to go first? Oh, dear. Um, I, I wish you'd asked Erin that one first. <laughs> so it's it's easy to point at some of the big things, you know, disappearing glaciers, pictures of plastic in the oceans and all the rest of it. And these are very real and very important, but they're not a moment, which is what you asked about. And I think as we look at the manufacturing sector, where we sort of spend a lot of our time, actually the tangible moment has been the recent rise in energy prices, you know, driven by conflict in Ukraine, driven by a lot of other things as well. But energy prices have gone through the roof. And for manufacturers, you know, their, their energy bills have almost doubled and it's making their business potentially non-viable. So they're actively looking for ways to reduce energy consumption, actively looking for ways to become more efficient and to stay in business. And the broader sustainability agenda that we'll be talking about over the next 20 minutes or so benefits from that too. Rising energy prices. Uh, for you, Aaron, what is it? Yeah, I was going to say, for me, it's a little bit more personal. A couple of years ago, I took my family to Alaska. And as Paul mentioned, glaciers, we visited Exit Glacier there. And you could see they had signs for how far that glacier has receded over the last 60 years. And you could see in the last 20 years how much more quickly it's receding and really knowing that that is a, a really tangible thing that really impacted me personally. And then as a counter to that, had me choose to change my career focus from an engineering and manufacturing to sustainability. Now, if we look at sustainability in industry, we run into some contradicting information. On the one hand, you've got companies that are really actively fulfilling their net zero CO2 commitments. In some sectors, we also see a shift toward a circular economy. And these decisions are being welcomed by investors. They are pouring more money than ever into sustainable companies. Yet, on the other hand, this just isn't enough. I have some statistics I'd like to introduce. One is that 13% of waste globally is recycled, only 13%. That number is going to have to increase greatly if we want to get serious about a circular economy. CO2 emissions, 20 to up to 40% of global CO2 emissions can be traced back to industry. Energy usage, as Paul just referred to, a third of global energy is consumed by industry. And as he said, the costs are rising. 
To me, what these numbers represent is that there is a great deal of potential for industry to become more sustainable. So, Paul, how do you think we can encourage industry to be more courageous in making a bigger impact toward sustainability? I know you already mentioned the rising energy prices, but what else is it going to take? Clearly, you're right. Industry has to change. Industry needs to do things differently. But actually, governments and consumers need to change too. If consumers keep demanding cheap clothes or keep asking for a new smartphone every 12 to 18 months, someone is always going to step in and provide that, which is going to consume resources and lead to waste and all the rest of it. So we have to change the regulatory environment, but we also need to help consumers change their own behaviour. And things like energy efficiency labels on a fridge or a washing machine are a start there, but there's a long way still to go. You mentioned recycling. If we want more recycling, it actually goes right back into the design of the product. We need to design products that are capable of being recycled. Bloomberg, for example, ran a report back in 2020 about the non-recyclability of wind turbine blades. You know, wind turbines, a big renewable energy bright spot, but the turbine blades aren't recyclable. And several thousand turbines are dismantled every year in Europe alone. And the blades, the layers of laminate on those blades are very, very difficult to separate for recycling. So we actually just put most of them in landfill. And that's been the way it's been for years. And it's only recently that companies like Siemens, and they're worth calling out here, companies like Siemens now beginning to develop blades that we can actually recycle more easily. So that's important. And in the automotive sector, for example, firms like BMW and Polestar just beginning to develop carbon neutral cars. They're made from recyclable materials and they're explicitly designed to be easier to recycle when they reach the end of their life. That's important too. And then the final point I think I would make here is that in manufacturing, we need to get a better handle on things like energy consumption and resource waste. Um, the spike in energy prices I started off talking about is making all of this very, very real for business leaders right now. You know, it's about staying in business. And instead of always rushing to replace equipment that works just fine with the latest model, we actually need to get better at working out when it makes more sense to extend the useful life of a product you already have, a product where the carbon has already been consumed in constructing it. And things like IoT sensors become really important there in, in tracking energy consumption, in tracking usage patterns for those assets, in allowing us to start predicting when machines might fail or allowing us to balance workloads across fleets of machines more effectively and more more efficiently, rather than assuming we need to add another machine to the pool. Aaron, Paul has mentioned some important buzzwords from Siemens, um, designing products so that they're recyclable, tracking raw materials, IoT sensors. What approach is Siemens taking for these very important topics? 
So, you know, companies, as Paul said earlier, know that they need to do something. And I think sometimes they're unsure about where to start. These are really big, complicated and interconnected problems. Yeah, I think one of the things that Paul said earlier, I just wanted to comment on is that we need consumers to change. We need regulators to change. And I think that that's happening a bit, especially in the EU with the EU taxonomy. But we're also seeing investors and funding change quite a bit, which is helping enable some of the things that I'm going to talk about here in a second. Um, as you look at these really big problems, extending life cycles, driving to maybe different business models, we believe that data and an ecosystem approach are really important for that. We think that sustainability really requires system level thinking, that connecting and understanding all the parts of operation um, is really important. We use, like to use the term collective intelligence, driving the intelligence from all of the pieces in the life cycle into that design process, as Paul mentioned. Yeah, we're sitting with our design engineers and we're asking them to consider more and more things. If you go back 30, 40 years when you designed a product, you were looking at that product's performance. You maybe weren't looking at how easy it was to manufacture or how easy it was to service or disassemble or reuse or how recyclable or how much energy was being consumed in the production of that. And these are all considerations that we're putting out there. And that requires a lot of information. And that's where the data approach comes in. We're looking at that impact across the entire life cycle and all of the pieces inside that system. The other thing that's important to consider is not just what's going on with that product, but what are the things that are happening around that product? So the logistics providers, the distributors, the partners, who's interacting with that and how can they better inform that intentional design process to make sure that we are using the fewest number of resources to manufacture a product that will last for the longest amount of time. And then maybe the final thing we need to really harness collective intelligence is having a common language or holistic indicators that really look not just at profitability or cost or energy usage, but that are also looking at reuse of material, also looking at that life cycle um, use phase consideration. You know, one of the examples that, that comes to me quite a bit from Paul Pullman's book is he talked a lot about how the carbon footprint of a shower is so much more informed by how long you're in the shower than you are about the shampoo. And this is really what I mean about that collective intelligence, looking at that whole life cycle of that product and how that product is impacting the environment. Um, we need more and more companies to be thinking that way. And in order to do that, they really do need more data to make those informed decisions and really need to be thinking in their entire industrial ecosystem um, to be able to make the most and best informed decisions in that space. In past episodes, we've talked about becoming a digital enterprise, but usually the focus has been on productivity and efficiency. And here we're adding a new dimension, which is sustainability. So Aaron, suppose a company wants to move more in this direction of sustainability and they are going to become a digital enterprise to do so. Are there differences in the approach that needs to be taken or different solutions or is it all about the same? I think the solutions are the same. How you're using those solutions might be a little bit different. We look at sustainability just like profitability as an outcome that comes from a deliberate process along that thing. We think to be sustainably producing as a company, you really need to be able to work together to take best practices, both from within your ecosystem and from without your ecosystem, be open, willing to adapt, and being willing to pivot. So, I mean, it really sounds like a lot, right? But ultimately, the companies of the future need to be able to react to changes in the marketplace and changes in 
energy sources as we're developing even more quickly and really being able to drive down to how do I use the fewest number of resources to provide functionality and um, usability to a customer with the product that I'm producing. And this really takes that holistic view of the operations. And we do think that that digitalization transformation is really key to sustainability the same way that it's key to profitability, being able to try out scenarios and gameplay a little bit there before you consume any resources allows two things that I think are super important. One is the ability to be a little bit more bold in your approaches and bold in your ideas. You know, in the past, if you're going to lay out a factory or if you're going to design a product, you'd have very limited resources to do simulations. You'd have to do some real life trial and error, which kind of narrows the number of things or how bold you're willing to be by being able to have a digital twin, being able to do a ton of simulation using very few resources, you can be a little bit bolder in what it is you're trying to do. And you can adapt and pivot further because you've tried out these things. You've gotten the information you needed without having to make an investment in resources to do that. So that's why I think digitalization is super key to long-term sustainability. Paul, as we see more and more companies going digital, you've also mentioned perhaps right now one of the driving reasons is to cut down on energy usage. But do you think that these companies will become bolder to also take further steps in the direction of sustainability and not only in regard to saving energy? Becoming more digital absolutely creates opportunities for a company with the right mindset and the right priorities to actually start making a difference. And the way you start is by measuring what you're doing today. So IoT sensors measuring power consumption, measuring the routing of trucks as they move logistics around your plant and your supply chain, all of that. You know, where are the big machines in the factory drawing power but not producing anything right now? So done right, IoT sensors, data models, digital twins, all the things Aaron was talking about, help us to spot the bottlenecks. We spot the inefficiencies. We spot the risks in complex systems and we start to make a difference. One very small example in the renewable energy space with wind power. If you can predict when the wind is going to blow and you can predict how much power your wind farm is going to give you. For example, the biggest one in the world is just outside my window here in East Yorkshire. If you can guarantee how much wind you're going to get from it tomorrow, you can turn down the output from those coal and gas-fired power stations, reducing the unnecessary burning of coal and gas and getting a better return from all the money you've spent on wind power. And then, you know, back to something we started with, this idea of it going right back into the design of new products. All of this digital data and all of these digital threads allowing us to take data from real products being reused by real customers in real environments and feeding it back into the design of the next generation of the product, making it better, making it stronger, making it more efficient, using things like generative design, your machine learning and AI to run through all those different iterations of a product. And Erin talked about being bolder in those designs. If you're making physical models, you maybe make three or four and pick the best one. If you're doing it digitally, you use generative design to run through millions of options and pick the best one. Um, and you decide what best is. It might be cheapest. It might be longest living. It might be using the least power. It might be using the fewest um, rare materials. You decide what those criteria are. But all of that becomes much more possible 
with a digitally enabled organization of the sort that Aaron was just talking about. Aaron, let's suppose there's a company out there that wants to benefit from the aspects that Paul just referred to. Where should they start? What is What should be the first thing that they do? So I'll always go back to um, my foundation. I spent a lot of years as a quality engineer in factories, and I'll never forget Peter Drucker's words, which are, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so the more information you have and the better you're keeping track and able to either have digital twins or automation solutions that give you the data, that give you the power to make those better decisions. And that will help you understand where those places are, as Paul mentioned earlier, where maybe you're not optimizing your energy usage or there's opportunity to improve that. It might help you understand where substitute materials might be really helpful for you moving forward. And that's really the power of digitalization and our ability to process so much data. I always say on one hand, the world is becoming more complicated and the problems are becoming bigger, but the tools are also becoming significantly better and able to handle all of that. You know, I truly believe we have the technology available to solve sustainability. We just need to be focused, aligned, and working together to drive that. So, I mean, if you're looking to run this in your organization, I would first get that transparency, then prioritize where you can see your biggest opportunities to optimize. We work a lot with customers in a lot of different industries. And what we've seen is a lot of them have already looked at their energy usage inside their factory. And then they look at where their carbon footprint is biggest and that directs their next activity. So for one of our food and beverage customers, that's really to their fleet of vehicles that's delivering products. And to our chemical producers, it's really about sources of energy and where are they able to get energy from if they convert to, if they electrify from some of their fossil fuel-based solutions. So it's a little bit different depending on what your data tells you about where you're at in your sustainability journey. It sounds like the data will point to the lowest hanging fruit, and that is at least a starting point, and then it can go on from there. Or to the biggest problem. So sometimes you can find the lowest hanging fruit, and sometimes you can see what's the biggest tree you might need to climb for the for the most important or the um, most relevant fruit. And that's probably where you need to really look across your ecosystem and work together for solutions. I'd like to hear from you both which are some of the companies out there that are getting it right in regard to digitalization and sustainability? Paul, would you like to go first? Yes, absolutely. And this could be a very long list. Um, there are a few organizations getting it all right at all parts of their supply chain, but there are absolutely plenty of examples of companies doing pieces of the story. And one of those that's probably worth drawing out is Volvo Trucks. Uh, you know, Steel production and concrete production are some of the most significant um, energy consumers in this very energy-intensive space, manufacturing. And Volvo Trucks is now buying green steel from a project in Sweden called Hybrid. And this, uh, this Hybrid facility uses renewable energy from Scandinavia to generate power. They use that power to generate green hydrogen. They then use the green hydrogen to run the electric arc furnaces in the plant and reduce you know, carbon throughout the process of making steel. Um, and so you now get green steel. And Volvo Trucks was the first company to take a batch of that steel from hybrid. Other car makers, other truck makers are now looking at it too. But that was a really nice example of recognising steel is a problem, steel is probably necessary for trucks and cars. So how can we reduce the carbon footprint of that production process? Erin, which examples, which companies would you like to single out? 
So there's maybe three different categories that I want to talk about just for a second. Um, we've been working with Nemo's Garden. They are doing underwater vertical farming and really looking at how can we extend where we're getting food from to really drive security, food security for people. We're able to then apply this in our solutions to these new innovative industries. And I think that these startups and these new companies are something that um, we really need to make sure we're maintaining focus on and we're doing what we can to enable in the short term. I think the second thing I wanted to highlight quickly is the Biosphere Foundation is another customer that we do work with. And we've been helping them put together a natural capital marketplace where they can exchange information, they can exchange offsets with municipalities, with other biospheres, and really driving that openness and collaboration that we also think is key for long-term sustainability. Um, and maybe one of my favorite examples, because it seems so unexpected, is that We've worked with Williams Advanced Engineering. This is a company that does a lot of engineering work, and they work a lot with race cars and that industry to do airflow, really to help increase speed. They were able to pivot and apply some engineering work that they had already done to a refrigeration solution inside supermarkets. So when you walk inside a supermarket, you'll see that they're often trying to keep cold things cold to maintain the food quality, but also not to lose all the energy from that into the rest of the store and keep the store warm enough and comfortable enough for the consumers. And they were able to implement a small little air diverter that was able to optimize the refrigerator and save 1.3 terawatt hours of energy, avoiding 307,000 tons of CO2. And this is just with a small little piece, all of this in supermarkets. So this is you know, one of those great examples of where something that you've um, found in one space really has an application in another space. And there's really, um, endless examples of where we can apply technology from one area to another area. And this is part of what I talked about before about how we need to be willing and open um, to take solutions that maybe weren't invented here or weren't invented in the industry that you're in and apply them to something maybe totally different. I really like the examples that both of you have mentioned. They really show the depth of solutions that are possible in industry. So we've spoken about companies, what they can do through digitalization to become more sustainable. You've given some examples, but we need more companies like these. What also surprises me is how optimistic both of you are in speaking about this very serious topic. So I'd like to know what keeps you optimistic that more companies will get on board and make a contribution to meeting society's sustainable goals. I think the big thing is just seeing some successes. They build more successes, right? So when you see people adopting a new idea or a new product, that builds sort of its own momentum. And now we feel like there's a lot of work and effort coming through with digitalization. And we really believe that the tools and awareness exist. We just need more of the want to. And we're seeing that with these funds. We're seeing investor focus from just looking at things like profitability to looking at companies' ESG templates, looking at what they're doing. We're seeing the same thing with consumers, really caring a lot more and being willing to pay more for sustainable products. Paul, what keeps you optimistic? First, I think we've done it before. Remember the, the ozone hole over the Antarctic back in the late 80s and early 90s, created by CFCs in refrigerators and other uh, industrial processes. We spotted the problem, we got very worried about the problem, and we came together and we fixed it. The other thing I think is sustainability is moving beyond something that those who care deal with. It's moving beyond something that's nice to have in the annual report or something that sustainability officers get excited and agitated about. 
it's unfortunate that we're here, but we are. So things like rising energy prices, things like the challenge of getting hold of scarce resources, things like increasingly extreme weather events, all of these affect companies, whether they're sustainability aware or not. And so even the most climate sceptical actually have to do something about it now because it's affecting their bottom line. So if we come together and if we align the funding and we align the technology and we align the people, we can do this. I like that. We can do it. Thank you very much, Aaron and Paul, for taking time to speak to me about this vital topic. As I said at the beginning, it's about nothing less than securing the livability of our planet. This is Talking Digital Industries. My name is Alex Chavez. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you again with us soon. Music